Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Howdy, all. It's Friday. It's the Friday before Super Bowl Sunday, so we can get used to all those ridiculous commercials that we'll be seeing all, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, and you know, make mental note of it for our next show on Monday or Tuesday, the, the best, maybe two or three or the worst two or three. Uh, I have a feeling there'll be a lot of crappy ones, but that, that I, that usually is the case. Okay. I will tell you this back in the day. I remember this is what I used to do to watch the Super Bowl When I was a kid, I would go to the deli. I would get a hero. We called them heroes. That's the way they were in New York. Bob. And I would sit in front of the TV there would be like an hour pregame show mm-hmm. and the game would be on. And I was happy as a clam. And I decided, I sort of wish that we were back in that era in a way. NFL yeah. Network is starting their pregame at 8.30 a.m. Yeah, I mean, just stop. Yeah. I mean, I, sorry. I mean, my, our, tra- our tradition, you know, I have a, a bunch of friends. And, yes, I do have friends. A bunch of friends who come over. And uh, we normally will get a, a sheet pizza and a bucket of wings. Now my friends are, you know, we're getting a little older, and the wings—it's just too much. So we're not sitting well with the pizza. Are they? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, after a while, it's just—I mean, one or, now it's one or the other. Yeah, now it's one or the other. It's and it's the it's the pizza. But uh, but I'll tell you this: the prices, and I'm not going to name the business in Buffalo. The prices are absolutely. Absurd. I would say back in the day, you know, back, back say for example, 20, 25 years ago when the Bills were in the Super Bowl, a yeah. sheet pizza and a bucket of 50 wings would have cost you in the neighborhood of 30, 35 bucks. Right. Now it's 80. 80 bucks for one particular um very famous um uh wing place and pizza place in Buffalo. 80 bucks for a sheet pizza and 50 wings. And the pizza is okay. It's not good. The wings are good, but the pizza is okay. To be fair, there was that wheat crisis like a year ago that really did bump up. No, no, no. This is three or four years. I know, but I'm saying in the last year or so, prices have really gone up on pizza. Now it seems to have leveled off. But, Mike, 100 years ago with inflation, you just got to deal, man. I'm just saying they've 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 you know boosted the prices to a ridiculous. But amount. you keep buying it. Stop no, buying it. no, I don't. That's the thing. Only for only for the Super Bowl. But when you're buying it for that, buy something they else. Like, see, yeah. If you're looking for cheap food, I like when I was in New York City in the fall. I why go at pizza? You get halal food. It's way better. Way better bang for your buck. Yeah, stop but traditional stuff—you got to switch it over. It's tradition. Yeah, that—that's obviously it's tradition. All right. But anyway, so you want us to do predictions, right? Yeah, yeah. If if you if you want to, you I'll know, do it. I, look, I was. I think I think the spread is four and a half. And if we want right. to just do it with the spread or just pick the game, I'm just going to do it outright. Okay. Uh, look, I was wrong about the Jags, but the Jags did make it a very close game. I will say that, and I didn't pick the Eagles in Minnesota. Watching them, knowing the Eagles the way I do because I live in the area, knowing the Patriots the way that I do because I had to endure them being a Jet fan, which, by the way, I'm working on a Jet article right now. People should go to Sportsology later. It'll be very sad. 
Um, it's it's a sad, sad, sad article. Um, look at it, all those things, all the factors, all the BS that goes into everything. The BS about Gronk being in the uh, concussion protocol so he doesn't have to give interviews. I thought that was like the nice latest um, end around for, for New England to not have to talk. Um, I'm still going to pick the Patriots. I'm going to go with a 24-20 score. I, whatever happens in the first half will not happen in the second half. We know that about the Patriots. Yeah. And so if, the, if New England's up by a lot in the first half, the game's over. And if they're not up by a lot in the first half, then you're like, okay, we got a game, but somehow they always manage to win. So uh, I'm just – and Pete Carroll aside, what are you going to do? Peter. Okay. 27-21 Eagles. Ooh. And because I'm so cynical on every sports league and its officiating and rules, someone's going to go into a headshot early on Brady, take him out of the game because there's no repercussions for doing it. You might as well. Ooh. Eagles are going to get their first Super Bowl, and Brady isn't in the game at the end of it. Okay. Wow. Um, I mean, that's possible. Anything is possible. Um, I have a weird feeling that Gronk is going to be a major piece to to the Patriots winning this game because I, yeah, I not, so. that, not, not that people aren't expecting uh, him to play, but I think people are thinking he's going to be limited because of this concussion that he had. But I, I you know, to be affected by a concussion, you actually have to have a brain. And I don't, you know, Gronk, <laughs> Gronk, Gronk is from Western New York, and sometimes I question whether he has a brain. Um, That's fair. Yes, I, I'll say I'll I actually I'll go twenty four. 16 uh, Patriots. I, I, I'm i questioning whether the Eagles can score with Foles. I know that they did great against Minnesota. It was at, it was at home, though. This is going to be – and they're going to have a very friendly crowd in Minnesota. Um, it, it, the question is whether New England's defense can adjust. I think they'll be able to because Belichick can make – Chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? So yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think it, I think it'll be close I'm for a while. Eagles, but you know, yeah, I think it'll be close for a while. But I think in the end, the Patriots will I win. And one quick short story before we yeah. start. So I was um, in a mall today, and I was waiting. I was getting some a piece of jewelry fixed. So I'm walking around, killing time, and found an FYE, and I was like, oh, I didn't even know they were still in business anywhere. Yeah. And so I go into the FYE, and they had everything that was new was in the front as far as CDs and stuff. And I didn't see anything I really wanted. I'm not a vinyl guy. I used to be, but no longer. And, but I went to the back of the store and they still had a massive backlog of CDs. And so my thought was, oh, they must be sending like all the FYEs stock into like a few stores that are left. Right. So I went there and, and I'm looking and I found some stuff by a group called all time low. We've been filling in you know, CDs here in my house on them, and, and we like them a lot. But then I'm talking to some guy, and he's like, hey, would you find anything? And I'm like, you know, nah, nothing nothing out of the ordinary. He goes, yeah, I found, like, David Crosby with the Grateful Dead here in a, in a concert. You got to really dig. And I'm like, once he said that, I was, like, mining for gold then, right? I'm, like, looking, right? What? David Crosby with the Grateful Dead, like, 1970. Yeah, yeah. This one oh on a CD. Like, who? where's that from? Well, I mean, I mean, the Grateful, incredible. Yeah, well, I mean, the Grateful Dead, like Jerry Garcia and and uh, and um, uh, Phil Lesh played on Graham Nash's solo albums. Yeah. They were big. They were they were buddies. Jerry Garcia did. You're talking to a deadhead here. 
Okay. okay. So he, I followed that band for eight years, right up until the Garcia okay. day. Yeah, the, okay. the guitar. The, I'm not the biggest dead, dead, was, headed and dead, dead fan, but the yeah. guitar solo and I used to be a king is phenomenal. So yeah. the, the, anybody want to listen to a, some old music? Very, that's good stuff. So, so the guy yeah, listens to steel guitar for a lot of um, Crosby, Stills, and Nash stuff, yes. and Nash and Crosby came in and helped the Dead learn how to sing a little bit in harmonies. And when the Dead got out of their major funk of not being able to take their sound into, into their albums. They wrote two albums and basically it was Crosby and Nash who came in and said, no, you got to start singing like this. You guys can sing. You just don't write music to sing with. Right. And boom, it all changed for them. Oh, interesting. Well, that yeah. lit the fuse, right? And, and it's sort of like there was like this, this flashback where it's Friday. I'm in a record store. Like 17, 18 year old Russ Cohn, when he was working and living at home, I'd yeah. spend three quarters of my money on records every week, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was that guy again. And it was so much fun. And I found a 1994 radio broadcast of Green Day, a concert that was like, not King Biscuit, but, but like that. And I don't know if they did it just for the radio station or if it was part of their tour that year. And they just played it on a few radio stations. And then someone made a CD of it. And it's in FYE. So I buy it. And I start playing it in the car, and it's great, right? Like, this Green Day is held up very well, right. but nobody could ever hold up to what they used to be at the very beginning. They just, yeah. you know, it's hard. And and so, you know, in 94, clearly they, they sounded different. Now they have a lot more instruments. Back then they didn't, so it was a lot more stripped down, and I, and I sort of like that. The only bad part is, and this is what I'll warn people if they start doing it, is they did censor it. Like, you know, the curses were – they weren't bleeped. But they were sort of sucked out. But other than that, it really is fantastic, and it was nice to find. See that the thing, and la, la, this is the last thing before we start the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm old enough to be somebody who would love to go to the, they like every every month or two they would have a record show like at some place like a VFW or someplace like that, and they would it, it would be a place to go get bootleg recordings. Now you go on YouTube, now you go to websites, I can listen to bootleg recordings, and you, you know, at least you can you can listen to something online and know whether it's good or not. Back then it was sort of like, you know, roll the dice. Yeah, yeah, it was blind faith or roll, roll the dice. Well, oh. I mean, I can't tell you how many old Genesis concerts, old Yes concerts that I got, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> It's my my thing, but you know I'm a, I'm a big Sarah McLaughlin fan, and I got a con I went to a concert of hers in Buffalo in 1995. About a, about two months later, I go to this place, and they had a recording of it plugged into the soundboard, absolutely perfect. I can't tell you how many bootleg dvds and cds that i traded this concert for because i don't think anybody else had it recorded live like i did that i that down the down the years that i swapped for this one concert so i i miss that but it's weird oh, that it's yeah. like an fye instead of someplace like a, like I know, a this green day one i've never seen anywhere like i've not even seen like youtube stuff on it so i was like you have to buy it if you see something like that mm -hmm. you have to buy it this is the this is why the record industry and the music recording industry is actually dying because they're serving up pablum but they have all these unique things that exist yeah. so and we can get off this in a second but i'll explain something to you, really interesting that few people know the grateful dead in their vast catalog of music they basically license it out they control the releases of what they want but someone else owns and it. it's done through rhino records another company right it's stored in this special place in la but what else is stored there? 
almost every other recording um, recording company's vault of live shows that they've recorded, movies, everything. So special design fires. But but here's the thing: there's th performances from the '60s, all these different concerts that they have that they own the rights to. Yep. The problem is, is that no one can agree upon the financial stuff. Right. And what's happening is, is the generation that cares about that is it's going. Dying. We're the ones who want to hear it, right? And and they're going to argue over it, and it's not going to have any value eventually. Right. And the one thing that the, a lot of these bands, like the Grateful Dead, who allowed all their recordings to happen, is they realized you've got to get it out while the fans are still there, right? And 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 that's the thing. Like you know, you talk about Yes and Genesis. There's a lot of stuff out there. It's just it's hidden, and no I'll, I'll say this about it. Yes. In the last ten years. They have put out what I used to only be able to get on bootlegs on CDs about 10 good concerts, but that's still probably just scratching the surface. Well, yeah. well when, Gen when Genesis, and I promise this will be the last thing, when Genesis put out their box set a few years ago, they re released bootleg stuff that had been out there that right. all they did was they cleaned it up cleaned up the yeah. audio and re-released it so it was already yeah. stuff that the that, that audio files that that big fans already had but they they just they put their stamp of approval on it because the recording was good enough for them to actually sell so anyway yeah all right let's uh, we'll get let's get started and we're gonna be taking some questions in the second half of the show um if you go like uh, if you go to the 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 blog I already for took the, care of that I already told I already posted it Okay. All right. But the, uh, for, for those who don't know, if you go to the YouTube, there's a chat on the right side of the, of the window. You can ask your questions there. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Friday, February 2nd, 2018. Hi, I'm Peter Tessie on the Winnipeg Jets, broadcasting from Vancouver. <laughs> I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. It was that Grateful Dead ha uh, haze and delay. Yeah. I'm Michael Lagello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. We are looking to see if he still had his Jerry Garcia tie. That's what there, he's doing. There you go. It's T-minus 24 days and counting to the NHL trade deadline. Uh, and uh, we'll talk some about some of the games last night. And we'll start with the goaltender interference situation because uh, we had two instances last night. And, you know, this is – after being in the building at Air Canada Center uh, now a couple weeks ago when Colorado was there and Austin Matthews' goal got waved off for goalie interference and basically there was no contact in uh, between Bernier and Matthews and very similarly on that Ma uh, McDavid-Ryan Strom goal when, Ed when Edmonton scored but that was waved as a no goal. Um, after the All-Star break, you know, there was a clarification supposedly by the league about goaltender interference. Well, last night we had two instances, and Peter, one involved James Neal and the, and the Winnipeg Jets, and I didn't see the full replay until about an hour ago. How in the hell can someone break a stick over the goaltender's head and it not be goalie interference? I, it, it's it's simply incredible. Now the NHL released a um, and I put it in my blog today on Hockey Buzz. You can see the the tweet that they have there of what the logic was. It was because the puck had gone past Hellebuck that it ha that was basically it. So it wasn't interference because the puck had moved past him. It just hadn't gone in the net. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the replay, the stick whacks him, and then he looks to the side, and then the puck's pushed in. So you could take a stick to the head that then breaks across your helmet, your, ma your mask, mm -hmm. and you think that doesn't 
potentially stun you for just the half second it would take to look where the puck is or distract you it's incredible but the worst part is if you look at the vi at the, the the video i put on the blog today you will see the ref looking behind and he should be able to see that a stick broke across the mask of a goalie right and he doesn't even call high sticking or a slashing call right it's absurd if it's not goalie interference it's a penalty that negates the goal right and the shaft is flying in midair yeah. as as the puck is going over the goal line it's, yeah. it's, i think what we should do now is put the goalies behind glass yeah like the, uh, the bank tellers and just have the stick out there and have like the whole parts of, of the net so this way you can't run into the goalie or you'll hit a pane of glass it's going to be like the cameraman behind the little window yeah. Sort of. yeah. It, I think that's what they need I mean, to do, so we don't I'm have not to worry about. I'm sure what the NHL wants. So first of all, uh oh, uh, right. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe it'll shake loose. Right now, we're all confused, and and I I don't even like devoting time to it anymore because I can't even get upset about it anymore because we know that something is going to happen in a big game. We know it, and and so it's just it's maddening that we've gotten to this point in the season, and you could have. Two different calls like that, and everybody's saying, "What? What the heck?" Yeah, and the other one, uh, the other one that uh, happened last night, and it got the, it got the, uh, it drew the ire of Duggar Armstrong, the the GM of of the uh, St. Louis Blues, uh, Jake Allen, in the crease. Now he was going right to left, and momentum was carrying him, you know, right to left, but Debra, but Jake DeBrusque, prevented him from if, if he had the opportunity to go back and try to stop the puck Jake DeBrus stopped him because Jake DeBrusque's body was sliding through the crease and prevented him from being able to go back so it, I mean it was clearly in terms of the rules I think it was clearly goalie interference but they didn't call it and now you know basically our rules aren't clear that's the problem right. there's nothing that we could say anymore that's clearly goalie interference nothing I'm back. I don't okay. know what happened there, but yeah, I lost no. everything. But it, it, it's crazy. But James Neal doesn't have the best history, was my point. And That's so true. now, doesn't yeah. the Department of Player Safety have something to say to James Neal about going for a puck at the goalie's head? Like, yeah. I mean, it, I, like, it, there's so much that's gone wrong with how this play is viewed in an effort to justify not doing something. That well, it's become laughable, and that's my problem with look, it. Look, every league's going through it. We don't know what a catch is in the NFL. No. You know, no. you don't know what what goalie what's a strike. Huh? <laughs> what's a strike now? Right. You don't know what a ball and strike is anymore. And, and well, and and to 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 your point regarding the Department of Player Safety and and you know, recidivism. Uh, I mean, red and this is not right, going to hurt. Using words our audience. Oh, shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the trying to act smart. Go, go, goaltender, you know, not goaltender interference, but Radko Gudis last night. I mean, he slammed Palmieri in the game, the Flyers Devils game. Now, if you look at it and you don't realize this is a guy who's had multiple offenses, you could have said he was jumping out of the way of the Flyers player and just so happened to jump right into. Paul Mary, but with Gudis, I I don't put anything past him. So, but I haven't heard anything today from the Department There's of Players. Nothing State. on it. Yep. Uh, they did give him a penalty in the game, right? And it's one of those things where 
now as a player, if you sort of and look, we've all done it playing sports. It, you know, I've played second base enough to sort of, you know, block the bag probably more than I'm allowed to even in, in softball, right? Like we've all done, but I don't try and hurt anybody. Yeah. Well, I think Gudis now has probably gotten really good at the, it looks like a bad hit, but I didn't do it, so I'm not going to get suspended kind of hit. I think that's what we were, we're talking about. I think the only reason he's not getting suspended is, again, going back to that ridiculous system where Palmieri came back and he actually scored a goal. So because he wasn't hurt, Gudis isn't going to have to serve any time. But was that clean? No, it was not clean. No. And if anybody saw any of the chicanery that was going on in the Sabres game against Florida, and that was probably the only reason to watch the Sabres game against Florida was after the game you heard there were a bunch of your family member you'd watch. Well, I think maybe I doubt that even the families were in the in, in the stands at at first at uh, Key Bank Center because there were hardly any. It was hardly anybody there. I gave away tickets for that game, Ross. Um, but. Uh, with like four minutes left to go in the third period, I think it was three to two at the at that point. Uh, Evander Kane uh, laid out Barkov, and that just start that started everything. Johan Larson's being uh, is getting a hearing with the Department of Player Safety because he cross checked Vincent Trocheck uh, uh, across the the neck and head. So I mean, that's probably the only again the only reason to even watch that game was to see what what happened, but. I, I, it's weird I, I to say this. That is a problem when you have teams that are completely out of it now playing each other. Yeah, this is going to happen out of frustration. It is. Yeah. Yes, and I and believe I believe Harry Sateri won the game again. Of course he won. I mean, Mike, you you continue to rip Harry Sateri, and I can go back and tell you I could show you the interview I did with him. He was the second ranked European goalie in the draft, and you're just a hater. Okay, let's go through some of the games last night, and like I said, we'll we'll take some questions in the chat in the second half of the show. Uh, Russ at Madison Square Garden last was night. There was, was there a game? Was there really? Well, it was a, it was a one-sided game, if you ask me. <laughs> um, the Maple Leafs win four nothing, second consecutive shutout for the Leafs after the All Star break. Curtis McElhaney with twenty five saves. Justin Hall is the first. Maple Leaf defenseman in history to score two goals in his first two NHL games, which is, that's that's very impressive. And I guess only six defensemen have done it in history. But it, I don't think it's he's probably he's going to enjoy that when he gets sent back down to the Toronto Marlies. And I'm not trying to be mean it, here, but you know, I don't even remember Justin Hall. I said that on the radio this morning, yeah. but then I looked up my files, right? And what I found in my files was a gem back when the Frozen Four was in Philadelphia. Justin Hall, who had not scored a goal the entire <laughs> scored a goal to beat North Dakota in, mm. in the Frozen Four, not the final game, but in the games leading up to it. And Anthony Mingione wrote the article for my website. I'd completely forgotten about that, but that's how much Justin Hall 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 Hall. It's Hall. It's pronounced Hall, like almost like Hall. Yeah. Okay. Hall. Was off the radar. But again, what's funny is, and I always point this out, and Flyers fans do this too, I'm told. I, I don't know enough about it to, to say that, but I know Ranger fans do. They'll always say, Ranger fans will always say, hey, there's that rookie goalie or first or second game, third game, anybody, forward or defenseman, that always scores and always, you know, hurts hurts the Rangers. And it just – it always – I think what happens is players elevate their game when they go to MSG. MSG is a fun place to play. It's, yeah. it's historic. You go – I don't know if I've ever interviewed a player that wasn't looking forward to playing at Madison Square Garden, except for Jay Bowmeister, because 
when I asked him about that, Jay Bowmeister, I think, scored his first goal at MSG. If not his first goal, his first assist, it was something like that. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't have been less excited. But that's Jay Bowmeister. I don't know if he gets excited even at his birthday. But but getting back to it, for, for this game, there were some embarrassing things. Cody McLeod playing was embarrassing for the Rangers mm-hmm. because it proved my point where they are playing him thinking that he is going to add this mythical toughness and and it's really going to help even though like i pointed out he scored like eight points in the last three years uh but the toughness factor and i guess the rangers were highlighting the uh the hits on the broadcast but i had the sound off so i didn't hear that that was good and and so that didn't help right pavel buchnevich is now hurt he's out indefinitely that doesn't help yeah he the, the leafs i could tell at the very beginning were out, out working them to the point where the rangers just weren't elevating their game to to the degree of the Leafs, and and that was a problem. But you know, one thing I noticed, Mike, there's a bit of a win streak without somebody in the Leafs lineup. Who might that somebody be? Yeah. There's somebody missing from the Leafs lineup that you thought was an integral part of it, and he hasn't been lately. Morgan Riley. No. Sure. Matt uh, Martin. Matt Martin. They're a lot faster without Matt Martin, aren't they, Mike? Yeah. You're well, on the witness stand now. Don't lie. Okay. Well, I'll tell. I'll tell you this. When it comes when it comes to April and they're in the playoffs, Matt. That's Martin, not. No. No. You're. Matt, I'm going to throw you up on the court. You're avoiding the question. All I asked you was, and you yeah. have to answer the question: Are they faster without Matt Martin? Are they fast? As a team, are they faster? Well, it's one player. You're are talking they about- faster without? See, I'm going to throw you. I'm going to lock you up in jail. <laughs> you can't even answer the question. He's one player. Okay, Peter, can you answer the question? Yes, they are. And, and here's the thing that's interesting about this. So the Leafs go on this four-game run. They beat two good teams. They beat two iffy teams. Mm-hmm. Okay? And they, you know, you see the tweets from the Leafs community because even if you follow one, you follow a 1,000 because of the retweets. You see the, the new Leafs lineup has a 56% score just as Corsi yeah. 4. The old Leafs lineup had a 48. Okay, just just – the, the point being is it plays to the wheelhouse of the criticisms that were going on for the last month of Babcock about right. his player usage and who he should and his roster creation, who he was using, right. combinations. You take these guys out, it justifies what we have been saying. Right. There's merit there. It's not a it's not a hundred percent, but there's no. merit. The point being is what needs to happen with this kind of logic about this is is Babcock prepared to see if this is sustainable. That's the question. It's not whether who's right or who's wrong about the usage. Is the coach controls everything. So the question becomes, what is he likely to do? Babcock's MO is probably to gradually go back to what he knows. Oh, he's he supposed to go back already. He said, he said after a couple of games he was going to switch back, but he hasn't yet. Yeah. No, so he, hasn't. he hasn't. So let's see, But that's the thing. Now that's the observation point, Russ. That's the thing that everyone should be going on. Does and, uh, Babcock change his approach based no. on what he's and I think no Russ you think he might no I I'm telling I'm telling you right now what is what is going to happen they have one bad game where you know, you know uh the, the line of Marner Kadri and uh Marner Kadri and Marlowe are on the ice for three goals and what will, what will end up happening is the next game Leo Komarov will be back on that line and Mitch Marner will probably be back on the third line with Van Riemsdyk and Bozak, and then Connor Brown will be on the fourth line. He'll go back, and that's why I say, you know, right now everybody's excited about 
Travis Dermott, and I think Travis Travis Dermott, I th- I believe will stay. I believe he's going to stay with them for the rest of the year. He'll probably be the uh, the sixth defense uh, the, on the on the bottom pairing, uh, for, you know, for the rest the rest of the year. I, I think you know he's making a he's staking a case for being a top four next year. The way he's playing so far, he's got speed. He's he's confident. He's got really good hockey IQ. I mean, he's a he's a very good young player. I've watched him play with the Marlies for a couple of years. I I've said all said all and along. Lou, I thought Lou he likes him. He's come on our show. He yeah. really likes Travis Dermott. I've said all along that he was an NHL, or it was just a question yeah. of when they when they got around to it, and they may have <clears throat> over sort of overcooked him in the AHL, where yeah. he's got now he's now he's ready. But they've got Connor Carrick, they've got Andreas Borgman. Connor Carrick's not a rookie, but Borgman is. So is Dermott. When it comes down to April, unless they make a make a some sort of trade, one of those six defensemen is going to be Roman Polak. It's going to be Roma. You will not get Mike Babcock to not put his veterans in when it comes to the playoffs. Last year, he put Matt Hunwick in the top four. He put this Roman is last Pola. year. So I think you're, no, you're, falling, hold on. you're falling into a potential rabbit hole here <clears throat> because if for some reason, and I don't think right now Babcock could switch this lineup even if he wants no. to because yeah. I think he would get so much heat from above. So what if he wins – what do they have? Thirty-two games left. Thirty-one games. Uh, thirty, I think. What if they win twenty-five out of the thirty? Yeah, then he can't switch it. back. Yeah, then he, he can't, can't change it. <laughs> right, but Russ, what I'm saying is, like, they have after tomorrow night against Boston, they have a five-game homestand. They have one bad. They have a bad game in Boston. But what if they don't have a bad one. That's uh, my uh, big thing. Then, then you can't. They then are you... a better team. Do they not look better with this construction than they have in the yes. last? In a yeah. small window, yes, I, I you'd be you'd be stupid not to. I mean, they look better now with Dominic Moore as their fourth line center than than a slower, more ponderous Freddie Gauthier. Right. Remember, I told you Dominic Moore did not look happy in Philly yeah. when I passed him in the press box because he knows he knows he should be out there. This is the thing, and Peter can attest to this, and you can too. We've watched hockey for a long time. Sometimes the coach is the last one to figure out the right player combination. Sometimes the fans do know before the coach because the coach has biases and likes certain guys and feels comfortable, and that's two less things that he has to worry about if he puts out his guys. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, he has stumbled upon something here now that could be their ticket to getting out of the first round of the playoffs even without an addition. Well, and and this is this is, and we'll get off the Leafs here and talk about other things in a second. This is where the dilemma comes in for Lamorello and Babcock before before the deadline. They just sent uh, one of their you know, one of the forwards who's barely played this year, Nikita Sashnikov. They sent him down for a conditioning stint to the AHL. He's not waiver. He had to clear waivers. So would Josh <laughs> Levo. Um, these are guys that they've had on the roster or often, you know, like either on IR or off of IR, you know, trying to that shell game of keeping these guys on the roster. The only guy who can be sent down to the minors without clearing waivers is Caspery Kapanen. And Caspery Kapanen has been on the fourth line and has provided speed and has scored three goals in, I think, nine games. He's looked really good. But when it comes down to it before the deadline, if it's going to be who's going to go down or do we risk exposing one of these guys to waivers, they're going to send Caspery Kapanen down. And when Caspery Kapanen gets he has down, 10 goals in 15 games at that point. Well, right, but I'm I'm not I'm assuming that's not going to be the case, Russ. If he okay. makes it, if he makes it that they can't send him down, then they then they can't send him down. But right, right. now, since he's waiver eligible or waiver exempt, um, they're going to send him down. And who's the guy who's going to step back in the lineup? It's going to be Matt freaking Martin. 
so that's yeah but so anyway, i mean after the deadline they can bring Kapanen back up because the roster right. size right so it's a temporary thing right yeah. and that's the shell game that they all try to do because we all know before the deadline here come the big amounts of waivers see if you can slide someone yep. down yeah who's there it happens every year every and year. then and and guys do it in case they need to add someone to get them on the roster. Yeah, right. And they're going to do it. It, it, it. It's a short term problem, Mike, but it solves right. itself long term. Right, and and right now, as you've seen with other people who've been placed on waivers, you know, two three weeks before the deadline, if anybody with any kind of value is out there, Cody McLeod got claimed. Yeah. So if if you put Josh Levo or Sashnikov on waivers, they're going to get claimed. So does Josh Levo have a have a future with the yes. Leafs? Yeah, I I don't know if he has a future with the Leafs, but he has a future in the NHL. I think he's yeah. a. I think if he played in the top nine of any team, he would score fifteen to twenty goals. He's yeah, got a good shot. I think that's fair about Levo. Yeah, but so trade him or use him. Like I mean, that's because well, they they always want to own everybody. The Leafs yeah. they don't they just they hold their rights like grim death. They just yeah. do right. Um, but Peter, here's the one thing about this: if you ever go back and watch, like on the History Channel, these old. The, the guys that really were around and sort of created everything. I hate those guys in a way because, like, I always wanted to be a guy that could create something. But back in, like, the early 1900s, it was easy to create something new. All you had to do was really look around and say, you know what? We could use this and create it, right? And a lot of times yeah. those guys would go out and create, try and create something and by accident find something better. And that's what I think is happening with the Leafs. Al, yeah. Al Gore created the Internet. Um, okay. Um <laughs> It's a series of tubes, Mike. <laughs> um, all right. The uh, let's just go through the scores here quickly. Bruins won over the over the Blues three to a uh, three to one. The Bruins they had that eighteen game point streak. It was snapped by Anaheim. Uh, they come back and win over the Blues, and then they play, they play the Leafs on Saturday. I, I do want to say Ty Anderson's a little full of himself now because like he. He not only is living the Patriots dream, but he goes, now this is on Twitter. This is the start of a 19-point streak. And, you know, and he's trying to troll everybody. And it's like, well, pipe down. Pipe the, one down. Thing, the, the one thing he – Ty was was speaking truth to the Boston fan base because Tuka Rask made an unbelievable save last night, an unbelievable glove save. They don't hate him anymore, you mean? Right. And he's like, yeah. And he basically said, there are still some people that hate this guy. I mean, it's just – I, I, I don't crazy. get it. Yeah, care. so uh, Florida beat the Sabers four to two. Devils win four to three over the uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, Russ, you watched some of this game, and Alex I did. I Lyon, watched most of it. Yeah, Alex Lyon got the start for Philadelphia. Yep, Lyon got the start. It was his first start. It was his second appearance, and it pretty much went the way I think I said it was going to go yesterday. Like he's a positional goalie, and the issue with when you bring in a young positional goalie is if you have a coach that wants to lock it down when you have a lead and you have a young defense, that is a bad combination in my eyes because now you have put all this pressure on a first-time goalie to sort of play perfect hockey in the third period and one squirted through late. Nico Heischer had a great goal. Like, you know, um, Robert Haig was draped all over him mm. and he put it and line squeezed the pads and it trickled through and – you know, and Lyon said, "Hey, that's on me," and that's all well and good. I, you know, I, I like the kid. I watched him at Yale. I think he's going to be a pretty good goalie. I don't know if he's a one. I think he's a backup, but he's a pretty good goalie. But the point is, it's hard for a rookie to play that style, that hackstall style, and that's why I don't like. I think when you're a coach, 
you do have to adapt sometimes to the way your players are and the lineup is. And the Flyers didn't do that, and it cost them a win. And you never know which one of these wins will cost them the playoffs. You never know. Well, you I know, mean, how many how many teams though can go from getting a lead or whatever or playing an, a, a driving game to then lock it down? How many teams in the NHL do that with consistency? Five. What exactly? And so I think, and there's been enough enough analytical evidence to go in and say you shouldn't do it unless you're maybe one of the five. Right. And I but coaches, you know. You watch things, things like this is the variable of hockey. Sometimes people see something that says, I've got to make a decision this way, or we practice this and practice to try this. This is the time to implement it. I mean, if you're the Flyers, are you really desperate to make the playoffs or are you sort of okay? I mean, there's a whole bunch of other variables there. So maybe Hackstall feels like, yeah, we're going to try this because I need to know what can be done and what can't. And this is the only way to find out. So and, now and that's the, the game with Ottawa. You've got Elliot Hurt. Yeah. You've got Neuverth, probably not feeling sick anymore, but sick about his performance. And yeah. and you've got Lyon, who's only started one game. And you probably need to win this game against yeah. Ottawa now. And this was a That's big a game. tough place to be. It's at this, home, but it's a tough this, place. To be. This was a big game for the Devils because if you look at the standings right now, I mean, the top two, the, the second and third slots in the Metro, and the two wild cards are all. You know they're all going to be taken by obviously teams in the Metro Division, but you got Jersey at sixty, Pittsburgh at fifty nine, Columbus at fifty eight, Philly, Carolina after they beat the Canadians two nothing last night at fifty six, and the Rangers and the Rangers and the Islanders at fifty five. So you have seven teams within five points. Yeah, it's a pressure cooker. Yeah. Now. Um, the I, I have I have I only watched a couple minutes of the of this game, Peter, and it really I, I was I was dumbfounded by some of the things that happened. I'm talking about the Jets and the Golden Knights. Yeah, uh, I, I I turned on that game at the end of the second period, early third, and it was two one. It got really really nuts it in the last couple minutes of regulation when. Uh, the Jets tied it up, and then into overtime. When I don't, I don't know how Josh Morrissey misses the open net with this mad scramble. Yeah, and then off the faceoff, there was another ridiculous. I thought they were showing a replay. There was this other mad scramble, and they couldn't score. And then David Perron comes down and scores the overtime winner. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, unfortunately, I didn't watch it live. I had to catch up on that because I was I'm in Vancouver, and the way. NHL rights work. I can't stream my stream from home here and blah blah blah. <laughs> Anyways, which is crazy. Once I, that, once I you know, once I sort of caught my breath from just reading Twitter, and then found the highlights, and then found some the the questions again come up about Paul Maurice and OT and his tactics and his players. And this has been something that's been written about. It's been something that's t talked about. And the one thing that we're seeing in OT right now is. Possession is everything. And guys, you know, you hold the puck, you can't go into it. You're on opposite ends of the bench. So when you're on offensive zone, you can change on the fly and guy guys are getting gassed. And I think Buff and Wheeler both had a two-minute shift at one point and we're just done. And you know, that's the kind of thing that happens with this group group. Maurice puts a weird combination out. He hasn't practiced how to do this stuff to get players fresh legs out when you get trapped or when you get the puck out and taking a gamble to do it. 
And the Jets just lose an OT. That's just what they do. And regardless of the craziness, I mean, Morrissey was dismayed after. I saw the interview with him. He just couldn't believe what had happened. He had the post. I mean, they're a train wreck in OT, and they're not dealing with it well. Well, but here's the thing. All right. OT is a train wreck. Three on three is not real hockey. No. And I, I, I've gotten challenged on this on, on my Facebook account, but I'm telling you, in 10 years, we're going to look at the amount of goals that some guys are getting in this three-on-three overtime, and you're going to be like, yeah, that's they shouldn't have that many goals. I, it's just crazy. It's, it's just it's not – you know, it's it, I get it. It's the way you're getting quicker games and not having to play 20 overtimes. But at the end of the day, I think if we took a poll of NHL fans, they would rather have the ties – if they're true fans. Now, the, the, the guy who's just going to see a game that wants to see a winner or a loser, fine. But I'm telling you, the true fans would rather see a tie because at the end of the day now, this has really skewed the regular season compared to the playoffs. Because the playoffs now doesn't have that. It's completely different. And everything changes when a team goes into OT in the playoffs. Yeah. I would rather see the, I would rather see a game chose by um, decided by three on three overtime than by the shootout because the shootout. Yeah. To I'd me, rather. Well, I agree, but I'm yeah. saying get rid of both. You got to get rid of both. Russ, before they put three on three in, I wondered if there was going to be players who would become three on three specialists. And I wrote a blog about this, and I said, should goals in three on three count the same way a, a regular in the first 60 minutes count depending on the thing should it be on a player stat sheet in the same level no i don't I, 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 and oh man was there some like i know went out for all sorts of logic but like, it's not the reason, same as scoring a five i don't on five think it goal. is either yeah but the play said because a three on three can exist in a regular game that justifies it okay fine yeah but the players but, association would fight for that right to start to count yeah and i under, i understand all those logics but you could just have a different one, OT goals, because you sure have an OT win and an OT loss, so why can't you have an overtime goal on the stat sheet? I agree. But but the thing I would rather see is go to the 3-2-1 system, three for a regulation win, two for an overtime win, one each for a tie if it's not decided in overtime. I actually like the tie point as opposed to the loser point. So each team gets a, a point or, or two – Two if you win an OT and, and none if you get zero, right? Like if you don't win, if you lose an OT, you get zero, but the winner only gets two and then one and one. If you don't settle an OT, get rid of the shootout. Like just get rid of it. Yeah. It's, but it's, they, everyone they, likes to win, but you don't like it being decided that way. So three, two, one, and be, be done with it. And at the end of the day, you're, I'm, you're I'm better with that, but I still, I'm, I'm getting tired of three on three overtime simply because I'm seeing a lot of flukiness. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and yeah. As, as, an as an example, uh, the the Anaheim-Ottawa uh, game last night, uh, it was 1-1. Uh, Anaheim tied it late in the third period. Uh, they take a penalty with, I think, 25, 30 seconds left to go in regulation. And, you know, it being a cross-conference game, they're interested in guaranteeing themselves the point, so getting out of regulation. Right. They got the point, and then in overtime, it's a four-on-three power play with Eric Carlson at the, at the quarterbacking. And I think maybe less than a minute, Ottawa got Ottawa got the game winner. But I don't think Anaheim cared much because they got the they got the point that they needed. Yeah, and 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 when when you have a, when you have a power play in overtime, especially when it's four-on-three, 
I mean, the I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm certain the percentage is uh, for on a four on three power play is much greater than the normal five on four power play. So, you know, anyway. So, um, all right. That's just my little rant. That's yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, the two Alberta franchises did not have good nights last night. Uh, the, the Calgary Flames were leading uh, uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning four to two. Lightning come back and score five unanswered goals and win seven to four. Um, the Flames, I, I think I got this right, Peter. The Flames have blown leads in the last six games, six yeah, straight games. Yeah. And, and you know, this is surprising because you know Mike Smith was an all-star. Was an all-star goaltender. They're, you know, they have one of the best defenses, at least on paper, in the league. The, I mean, blue lines, but yeah. they can't seem to hold the lead. It, there is some serious discontent in Calgary about some of the stuff Gilson's doing. Um, if you read some of the Flames writers and, and and things there there there's there's a lot of <coughs> excuse me there's a lot of questions in calgary not with the level of sort of venom and ferocity that you see in 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 toronto during the last month yeah. but there's a lot of questions about what the team is doing and some of the makeup there and i think the different point is is that calgary on paper looks like a team that should be at the near the top of the pacific and it's not, and why, and no one can really figure it out. And one of the things now is I've seen some very interesting criticism about TJ Brody, who was supposed to be one of their top two D, mm -hmm. and now and he's only twenty seven. And there was something I saw yesterday, I think, from Kent Wilson at the of the Athletic, where he was saying this might be an age related thing, starting at twenty seven for Brody. I mean. I, I, maybe we're taking this too far with some of the measurements we're doing. I don't know. I mean, Kent Wilson's a smart guy. I really like what he writes, but they're really searching for answers in Calgary from the outside and I think the inside, and no one can really put it on. Mm -hmm. And if Calgary's going to make a trade, maybe they're the team that makes the hockey trade before the deadline. Because no, I, think they, I think they're going to now. I agree. Something's not working there. And yeah. if um, Treliving's going to have you know, has a Brian Burke in his organization, there's going to be some sort of discussion or pressure or things. And that's maybe where we see Bennett. That's where maybe I, think I think it's going to be Bennett. It's yeah. the logical choice. And maybe if they feel they can't, aren't going to re-sign um, Stasian or Backlund, one of them goes too. I, I don't think they trade Backlund. I, like, I think they like what he does from a five-on-five -five perspective. Yeah. But definitely Bennett, as we've talked about before, could be something coming out of Calgary. But something's not right. Bennett's 21. There's still time to to get him yeah. back to where he should be. Right. And if they're trading, if they're trading Bennett for somebody as a hockey trade, it would have to be somebody who's under contract for at least a couple of years. A guy yeah. like a Mike Hoffman, who, who I've been yeah. here, who've heard there's some connection between the two. That yeah. would make a little bit of sense, and it would make sense for Ottawa because he's a young player. But yeah, there, there's just something not right there, and that's too talented of a team to have the this streak uh, going on. And on the other side, you know, in another area of Alberta, although I don't know if they if they were playing, I think they were playing at Edmonton last night. Um, Colorado, who's without Nathan McKinnon for the next two to four weeks, which you would think they're done because that guy is everything to that team. Well, they took a three; they had a three-one lead on Edmonton. Edmonton comes charging back. McDavid ties the game with less than a minute left to go in regulation. But then JT Comfer scores in overtime and gives the Avalanche a four-three win. The Avalanche are in the battle. Oh, in the battle oh, let's freeze frame this. Freeze frame it. Who drafted JT Comfer? He's a Saber draft pick, wasn't he? 
Yeah. Yeah. He that was, was part of the, that was part of the Ryan O'Reilly deal. I know. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you if you if you look at the two big deals that Tim Murray made, that deal with Colorado and the deal with the Evander Kane Bogosian deal with Winnipeg, those two trades have set up those teams because yep. Armia. And and my you know Myers I know Myers was out last year but you know Brendan oh, don't forget remember who the the draft pick in that trade Jack Rosselvich that's right yes yeah and yeah, yeah so I mean all right anyway okay so um, yeah Sorry, like, but you know what like like in all fairness it, it stings for Buffalo yeah but and Russ Russ can speak to this there is a laundry list trades like that through the NHL history. Sure, there are. It, it just happens. And sometimes you make the wrong estimates about what you're getting and giving up. And guys do that. In theory, most people at the end of that day, at the end of the the the, the, the Kane Bogosian trade, said Buffalo came out better because they got the two better players. And, you know, it's a little bit of luck that Roslovich fell into, into Winnipeg's hands when, the way it did. You can't control what happens ahead of you in the draft. That's yeah. like that's like saying the Leafs won the Dion Phaneuf deal, but in a sense they didn't because they got Dion Phaneuf and then they paid him seven million dollars a year, and Dion Phaneuf was never the number one defenseman right. that they thought he was yeah. when they traded for him. So you know, yeah, I mean, it's fair. I think the problem with Buffalo was it was in a short time span, so now it affects them for probably five years. Yeah, and yeah, as we as we know, P Peter, the most attractive thing about that deal was the fact that Evander Kane was out for the year when they yeah. made the deal, so it allowed them to tank. Yeah, to get either McDavid or Eichel because he wouldn't be playing, and then they would exactly. have him. Right, he would have him next year. The you, next year, you know what's funny? I, I can remember before that happened being on the Buzzcast with Kevin Allen, and I floated that idea out, and Kevin waved it off. And I saw a shot at Kevin. I I think Kevin's a really smart guy, and I love. Yeah, yeah. But I think it was so out of the wheelhouse at that point that a team would do that. But then we saw with the talents of the Eichels, the McDavid's, the the Matthews, there was teams are willing to do anything to yeah. have a shot at them. You right. can't you can't deny nowadays in any professional sport that there's that there's tanking going on. It's yeah. blatant. It's well, obvious. What, what is Cleveland one in thirty one under their current coach, the Cleveland Browns? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I think they've taken tanking maybe too far because no, they, that's just incompetence. I think they actually yeah. want to win in Cleveland. They just don't know how to. Okay, let's go to uh, Russ. Hold on, hold on. There's yeah, no. one other guy. I just wrote about him for a website called GTS. Brendan Lemieux is starting to come mm -hmm. of age too, and that is another guy from one of those deals. Yep. Yeah, and Zadorov is playing. Is, Playing much better I mean, now. You, they stripped what was a very rich farm system there. Yeah, they're building it back now, but it takes a while. Yeah, well, I mean, the Sabers are in the bottom two or three in the league right now, but Rochester is playing well. So, I mean, they, they, if their if their their goal was to sort of build from the ground up, you know, they, I guess they're they're starting to do that now. But the thing is that a, a lot. I know that they added a lot of like AHL veterans to support some of the youngsters. So right. it's sort of like sort of a little bit of a shell game here. Yeah. So anyway, let's go to some questions in the chat, Russ. All right. So first one, I have it here. Uh, Carolina for Mike Doyle. If Carolina can make a move and get a top six forward, I could see them getting in the playoffs. So, he, he, you know, they basically – and somebody else I think asked also, who could Carolina get? Well, like if the Rangers are going to continue to lose and they lose like 
five in a row, six in a row. Mm -hmm. They might do that rebuild that they're talking about. If I'm Carolina, I'm going to go for um, for somebody on the Rangers. Now, if I look at them, I, I think Zuccarello is perfect for them mm -hmm. because he is that wily veteran that plays a 200-foot game mm -hmm. who adds to the power play, adds to really everything. Like He is a guy that people probably don't appreciate the kind of game he plays. And so would he possibly yo-yo back to the Rangers? Sure, he might. Mm -hmm. But then again, he might like it when he goes there and sees the wealth of talent that they have. Based on based on the fact that I think Carolina would want to trade if they if Carolina is trading young assets, we're not talking about a rental. We're talking about them trading for somebody who they could hold on for two or three years, and they're probably with their low with, the, with their overload of, of defensive prospects. If they're trading for somebody who they want to hold on for a couple years, and obviously I think they're trading for somebody who can score goals because they need offense. I would say a guy like Alex Galchenyuk makes the most sense because he's under contract for another, I think, two years at less than five million bucks. Right, it'll cost more. But I mean, I'm sorry, they're not going to uh, they're not going to make the playoffs unless they're going to trade for a rental. And I think they again, I think they want something that will help them longer than just this year. You know, not to say give up Jake Bean, but I mean, you've got prospects in the organization. You've got a lot of them. Use one of them and get somebody who can help you now. Yeah, I mean, isn't that the case, right? Like, for a lot of GMs, you work so hard to get a stable of prospects, but then you have to recognize you can't use all of them. And if you use all of them, you're just letting other things go out the door to get them in, and it becomes a continuing cycle of never giving yourself that chance to get over the hump to get what you what else you need. And every team hits that point. Carolina's probably there, and right. they should do that. They should take that. you got to take a risk. That's the first decision. The right. second decision is what is the risk and how do you measure the risk? And um, and similar similar to what happened in Buffalo. And I'm not, I give uh, uh, Thomas Dundon, uh, you know, he's not Terry Pagula. But, I get, again, the new owner comes in and he wants to do something to show, okay, I want, the, I want to help this team to win. And when Pagula came in and bought with Buffalo a few years back, the first thing he did was trade for Brad Boys when Brad Boys was still an effective player. And that helped the Sabres get into the playoffs. Dundon, he comes in and, you know, they, they have room under the cap. If he says, go out and get me somebody, uh -huh. he's giving carte blanche to Ron Francis to do that. So, I, I mean, I would think there's a possibility if they stay in this race, that they're two, three points out, that they'll make some sort of move, not, not something that'll cost them a ton, but they'll make some sort of move to try to improve their chances. All right, so now we have questions from Bill C. I'm going to make them quick because he's literally directing them at me, but he goes, when do I post my first ranking of the year? I just got through the top prospect game. Because I'm going to the Five Nations, I'll post it after the Five Nations. That's in the middle of February. So right after the Five Nations, I'll post my top 31. Where, are uh, the, where is the Five Nations? It's in uh, Plymouth, Michigan. Okay. So that's the first one. Um, have I kept up with Dayton Rasmussen? Yes. You know, the thing about him is, I felt like he was a really good prospect in last year's draft, and he still is. Problem is, he he had a concussion right before the um, the combine, so he was limited in what he could do there. He, um, I think, he also had a knee injury that he had to recover from. He's only played two games for Denver. He's not the starter, so he's not going to get drafted. He's going to be one of those free agent signings down the line. He's going to be with Denver, and Denver will make a run with him, and that's when we'll be talking about Dayton Rasmussen. I think. Um, and then 
Okay, so now we have one from Mike Doyle. Besides a number three center, do you think Rutherford will try and make another big move to try and get a top six winger? If no, if if yes, who are they? And so I'll tell you one that I saw right off the bat. Radham Verbata, he's in Florida. He's not staying. He'd be perfect for the Penguins. Yeah. Yeah, with the with the Penguins with their cap situation, I would say it would have to be somebody cheap. Not not that I think the Rangers are in the habit of doing any favors for the for the Penguins, but a, a Grabner would make sense because of his sal reasonable salary, but um I I would have a weird feel, you know, Botterill, there there are some you know, maybe a Benoit Pouliot, you know, somebody like that. At who's a who's a UFA at the end of the year probably wouldn't cost him a ton. Not that he's a top six guy, but he's a, he's an experienced big body. You know, I could see them adding a player like that because I think you know that that's a, that's a guy you trade you you trade for a draft pick and you know Botterill and, and Rutherford had that relationship going back to them him being assistant in Pittsburgh. So I could see that happening. Yep. Uh, another question: Could the Jets trade for Ryan McDonough from Brandon? Here's the thing: I think if if both teams got together and Winnipeg said, we're willing to put Truba in this deal, I think they would talk. And I think, unfortunately for Winnipeg, though, they would have to add to that. So Winnipeg would have to give the Rangers some other either roster player or prospect like a Nick Patan or somebody who's very close to, to sweeten that deal. And then the Rangers would have to have an idea they could re-sign Truba, which if they could, I think they would be amenable to that because – Look, Shattenkirk's going to come back healthy soon, and they have Shea. They could switch out a McDonough for Truba. I think that is a possibility. And you Winnipeg know. would and Winnipeg would have to have assurances from McDonough's agent that yeah. he would extend. Yeah. So McDonough, McDonough's got to agree to that. Mm -hmm. And then McDonough's only got one year left on his deal after right, that. That's a huge risk for He's Winnipeg. So he knows the cold. That's a that's a summer deal though. That's really a summer. Yeah, deal. That, I yeah, mean, but they're just asking if it's possible. I think. Yeah, no. You have to also remember if it's possible. I mean, it's possible in the summer. Troop is out six to eight weeks, so unless yeah. Rangers decide they're done, right, it ain't happening. And any deal, and I don't think Truba would have a problem playing in New York. But tell you the honest truth, I think that that's perfectly fine um, from a what we know about Jacob Truba and where he would get a chance to play. The city, proximity to family, it's not very far, easy to get in and out of. Um, that would play in his wheelhouse, I think, quite well. Well, that's why that's why Toronto has always been, you know, there's been speculation that he never wants to, he doesn't want to go to another Canadian city, but he's from Michigan. Not exactly a hot, it's, it's not really that far from Toronto to Detroit. So, it, it, you know, I, I would think that there would be a little bit of an exception there when it came to the Leafs, plus playing for a team that's on an upward trajectory. If, the, if, they, if there was the possibility of that deal coming going down the line, that that would be more of the exception than the rule. But, I mean, we'll see. Any, any other ones, Russ? Yep, yep. What is um, Michael Grabner worth if he gets to the market? I think he's worth a conditional first and a prospect of some sort. I would – well, yeah, conditional first – Going down to a second round pick. Correct. Um, yeah, grade and B a prospect. A grade B prospect. Grade B yeah. prospect. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's about right. I mean, you know, he's not he I think on a good team, he's a third liner and a good special team. And we know in terms of his penalty killing, he's extremely quick. Yeah, you gotta watch out for him. I mean and, he, and he, he's yeah. a he's, he's a demon shorthanded. So yeah. And he's and he's the king of empty net goals, too. I mean, you know 
gotten past that this year, but he gets a lot of empty net goals too. That would be Grabner could be the guy that um, the Jets would maybe consider to put onto their like. He would probably he would definitely get PK time. That's for sure. He'd probably get first Mm -hmm. first PK time, and he could maybe put he would you know he's a left winger, right? Yes. Left winger. So if he could play on his off wing, he could move Brandon Tanev off the third line because they're essentially the same kind of player, but with a lot more offensive upside from Grabner and the speed there. So that's the challenge there. But he's the kind of guy that a lot of people are saying, forget about adding a center in the Jets thing, get a top six or top nine forward to just boost it down down either side because it's just going to make them that much more dangerous. See, the team that I thought that Grabner would fit the best with is a team that traditionally has been has been uh, s- slotted as really slow, but they've started to turn over their roster a little bit, added some younger players, and they've gotten faster over the last year, and that's the LA, LA Kings. Because if you added a, a speedster like Grabner to that lineup, I mean, there's still some – Guys, you know, Car- the Carters and the Kopitars who aren't exactly the fleetest of foot, but if you add a speedster like Grabner in the depth of that forward group, I, that would really make a difference. And, you know, I, I think that, I, you know, if they make the playoffs, which I think that they're going to, with the goaltending, with the defense that they have, if you add one more forward, you add a little scoring, I think they're they're dangerous. All right, so now Broken Narcissist asks, are the Leafs smart enough to get out of Zaitsev's contract in the offseason? I'll tell you what. If they're sold on Travis Dermott, considering that they did give Zaitsev seven years, he's probably got five years left or four years no, left. This is, the first, this is the first year of the seven it was years. It the first year, so he's got six years left. It wouldn't shock me if he gets traded at some point down the line if they feel like Dermott is a top-four guy because you don't want Zaitsev on your – on your bottom pairing, you don't. Um, I don't know who the, the person asking the question is, Broken but narcissist. yeah, okay. Uh, well, Mr. Narcissist, you're clueless because Mike Babcock loves Zaitsev. Is he going to still love him if he continues to get injured, though? That's the question. It was a broken foot. It was not. It was not okay. like. It was not something. You know. It wasn't like a shoulder popping out. It was. It was a. It was a freak thing. And he played. He played most of the games in his rookie year. No, Babcock loved. He's not what they thought he would be just yet. He's good, but he's not great. Ba- that's the thing. Babcock has been effusive in his praise of, of Zaitsev. He loves okay. him. He thinks he's a top four guy. He thinks he's smart. He's a right-hand shot. I mean, that's the thing. He's a right-hand shot. He's the only right-hand shot that they that's a legitimate top four. So I think there's a better there's a better chance of them trading Jake Gardner than there is getting out of Zaitsev's contract. There's no, you know, Zaitsev is going to be there for, I would say, at least the next four or five years. Okay. Peter, any thoughts? Sorry, I missed that because I dropped out. The I question the basically question was, I had to log back in. get out of Zaitsev's contract in the offseason? I said, look, if they felt like Travis Dermott was a top four guy, I think they would consider offers because I don't think you want Zaitsev on your bottom pair. Oh, Peter's gone again, so never mind. Um, another question. Poor Peter. Another <laughs> question was, um, do we think there will be any big trades going down at the deadline, or is it going to be smaller pieces? I think if there's a big trade, it's going to be at the eleventh hour. I think there'll be a lot of small pieces leading up to it. I sorry, I missed the question. Is it keep you missed every question? Yeah, no. Okay, so uh, here's, you, you might as well just leave. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Here's the question: 
do you think there are going to be any big deals before the deadline, or do you think it's going to be just rental deals and smaller deals? I think there'll be one 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 big deal um, that will not like earth shattering, but enough um, that, and I think it comes from uh, Pittsburgh. They usually like to get ahead of the game, and I think uh, I think uh, uh, Cheryl will do that and give it a give it a. No, it's Rutherford. Sorry, right? Rutherford, yeah. Rutherford. Sorry, yeah. Sure, in Jersey. Um, give it, a, give it a shot, like he had, like in the past, and try mm -hmm. and shake something up because I think, you know, they've got to take another shot, and that's where it starts first. And that's the the first domino. Yeah, and if they do that, it's probably going to be for that third line center. Yeah. I mean, I could see them. It may, it may be a rental. It may be somebody who's got a year. Like the the name that's been out there for a little while has been Pajot from the Senators. I'm not. I'm not convinced how much Pajot, the the Sens want to trade Pajot because he's got three years left and he signed for I think three three point one million dollars. So I don't it's going to go anywhere. Yeah, it's a you know the the, the guy that apparently they want to trade is Zach Smith, but I don't think many as many people want Zach Smith as they as want Pajot. So you know that that's that's the sort of balance yeah. But I, I agree, Rutherford. Did they have they're going to make them. They're, they're <coughs> surging right now. They play Washington tonight. They're in, I think they're in second place right now in the uh, in the Metro. You know if they they've got this limited window to have a chance to win a third in a row. I, I would think that they're going to go for it. And you know why not? But I, I have a feeling there'll be more than just one. I think there'll be a couple big deals. I think there'll be at least one, but I do think it'll be late. So here's the nickel question. The nickel question is, do I think the Islanders can make the playoffs if they get a goalie? Like this is one that I could literally talk to you about for two hours. But the boiled down version is – and I forget who asked the question, sorry. But the basic boiled down version is this. It should have been a month ago. It hasn't happened yet. And if you wait till the deadline, it could be too late. Yeah, That's really the truth. It yeah. needs to be yesterday, it, and and not not to say that Robin Leonard is the cure all, because I don't I don't think he is, but I think he's a damn sight better than Halak and Grice. I've seen I've seen Halak lose to Florida this week. I saw Grice give up five goals to Toronto, and I think on at least two of them he was directly at fault. You're not going to win. I mean, they're five points out of a playoff spot right now, or four or five points out of a playoff spot. You don't make that move now. Why why even bother? Yeah. Any more last one or two? I'm looking. Uh, you know, somebody asked, like, why hasn't Garth gotten one yet? Ask Garth. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, just so Russ is looking, um, a little bit of breaking news, kind of sad news. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Doctor tweeted this out. We think we should, you know, say some condolences. Uh, Robert Larson, father of Euler Adam, has died at age 50. Yeah. Uh, Came from Sweden last week. I'm just reading the tweet to visit his son and was stricken. Uh, spent a week in hospital, passed around midnight Thursday. Mm -hmm. uh, both paid for a CLFD. Our flags are half mass today. So condolences to Adam. I mean, that's very sad. Uh, that's too bad. I mean, yeah, especially, I mean, I don't know what the, what the circumstances were. If, I mean, if it was, you know, Ill, you know, heart attack or illness related. I mean, he said he, he said he was in the hospital. So, I mean, that 50 years old, I mean, that's. That's young. Way, way, way too young. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's <clears throat> I think that's it. I don't okay. think I see anything else. Okay, no, no big that's deal. It. Well, well, we'll 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 try to do this. Oh, more. Yeah, oh, we got one last one. <laughs> Broken narcissist got one in under the wire. Oh boy! Well, I hope it's as I hope it's as good as his last one. Uh oh. He still thanked us for answering the question, Mike. So okay, all good. That's at least he's polite. Uh, could Nashville deal Ely Tovenin? I don't think so. I've spoken to some people. They do like what he could potentially do goal scoring wise. 
And I think the same as Fiala, they're going to they're going to give him a lot of chances before he ever gets dealt. Yeah, if, as they should. If Nashville, and I, I, I'll keep bringing up the name, and I know that Russell pour cold water on it, but if if Nashville and even. Uh, I believe it was Pierre LeBron last night on the TSN Insider said he doesn't think that the Mike Fisher move is the the move that that Nashville is going to make uh, that they're going to probably try to add a top six winger before before the deadline. If they do try to trade for a top six winger, teams you know if they're not going to trade Tolvin, they're not going to trade Kevin Fiala, they're going to be asking for a guy like Dante Fabro. Yeah. They, will ask they may not. They may not give them up, but that's who they'll yeah. be asking for. So you know, if you're, and I don't know if that's for Vander Kane or if that's for Pacioretty or whoever, but th- that's the price that you're probably going to have to pay. You're going to have to pay a top prospect to get that guy who could be the one piece that gets you to the Stanley Cup final and maybe even wins it for Nashville. And that you know, for I, I we have friends, <coughs> friends who cover that team like like Pete Weber. You know, it would be it would be great to go to the Stanley Cup. I didn't go last year, but I, I would I would like to go to Nashville. Uh, that would be a great thing, but I think that they might be one piece away, and that 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 piece will cost them. Yeah. All right. So here's the big question. Okay. The big question is non-hockey related. Okay. What is your favorite arcade game? We'll start with Peter first, then Mike. It's Galaga or Donkey Kong. Okay, those are solid choices. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say Missile Command, and. Oh boy, what's the other one? Dig Dug. Dig Dug. Dig Dug. I like Dig Dug. I my best friend loved Dig Dug. I used to walk away from him. Like I used to just I would be like, dude, I I'm getting more beer. I can't play any more Dig Dug. But he loved it. Super yeah. Mario Brothers 2 also was pretty good. The, the one that I was best at was Space Invaders. I was a Space Invaders master. I still would play it. I have like that Atari stick you could hook up to your TV. I haven't done it in a while, but I like it. The other one is the original Atari football in the arcade that had the roller balls that you actually had to move with your hands. I got to tell you, we used to be in the arcade sweating. We used to get like blisters from that game. It had all X's and O's on the, um, on the field. I will, um, I'll see if I can put the link in the chat room for that. I'm telling you, this game was, it was like, it was physical. Like you actually had to be physical yeah. to play it and people would line up to play this game. And so, and I love pinball, right? But this was after pinball. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. And the most, I'm sorry, the most overrated is Pac-Man. Yeah. I mean, I, I played a lot of Pac-Man. Ms. Pac-Man's but... better. Ms. Pac-Man. I, I, I hate Pac-Man because basically, you know, I, I wanted to play it back in the day, but like somebody who memorized the pattern so yeah, they basically memorized the pattern that you do to not get yeah. killed, and they played the game for like six hours. And by the time that you were ready to play, you know the the, the place was ready to close. So forget it. All right, that's enough. Uh, <laughs> we will be back on Monday, hopefully, with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast for Peter Tessier for Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching. And remember, I did like Mortal Kombat too. No good. That's fine. And remember, without the buzz, <laughs> it's just hockey. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.